This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. And so that's where we have to be careful. Even when we see songs like this get super popular and we want to project on them, oh, the reason everybody likes the Aldeed song is because they're racist. The reason everybody likes Richmond North of Richmond is because they're a blue collar, working class, disenfranchised. I'm like, I like banjo music. That man, he sounded like that sounded soulful. Then I paid attention to the lyrics, you know, and so I think we have to be careful as well, you know, suspending that judgment. What is it that is resonating? And as, as this group emphasizes and as Village Square always emphasizes, the way you're going to find out is by talking to your neighbor and saying, well, why is it that you find that song meaningful or why is it that you find that problematic? Okay, I can see that. The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to Village Squarecast. This is Corey Nathan. So glad to be with you for this episode and our latest edition of God Squad. Thank you for joining us for Shut Up and Don't Sing. <laughs> I love what, there's when there's whenever there's punctuation in the title, I just feel absolutely obligated to follow the punctuation. Shut up and don't sing. <laughs> That's the title of the uh, the episode today. But it's a really interesting talk. Before I start. I'd like to tell you that funding for this program was provided through a grant from Florida Humanities with funds from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Check out Florida Humanities online at (laughs) floridahumanities.org. So, you know, things must be bad when the culture wars hit full steam or full scream (laughs) over a country song, a country song. I mean, how controversial Kenny Rogers, the gambler Ray. <laughs> I, I, who, who doesn't love a good Charlie Pride song or Alvira? Al, remember like the Oak Ridge Boys tune? I mean, a little ooh, Papa Mau Mau never hurt anybody, right? But uh, a few weeks ago, it kind of did. Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town and then Oliver Anthony's Rich Men North of Richmond seem to dominate pop culture, all of our social media feeds, as if World War III broke out. And as the village square embraces pluralism and giving everyone a hometown where everyone belongs, the idea that, quote, round here, we take care of our own, it could be something we could all appreciate. But then the guns get involved and things go aflame. It goes crazy. So at this gathering, we bring the God Squad to the rescue and they help bring a little perspective. Can we find a place where perhaps we can tolerate each other and just sing? So you'll be in good hands with Cassie and Stephanie and the rest of the God Squad. So time to turn it over to them for proper introductions. I'm Cassie Dillman. I am a program coordinator with the Village Square and we're excited to welcome you to our first God Squad of the season. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces in the crowd, so I think there um, are a lot of you that have been enjoying God Squad for a while, so we're happy to see you back. 
Um, I'm hoping that there are some newcomers here. If this is your first time um, coming to God Squad, welcome, and we are so happy to have you. We're hoping that you'll be hooked after this like everybody else. So I want to go ahead and introduce Stephanie Posner. She is the Director of Congregational Life and Learning at Temple Israel, and she's going to be our facilitator today, and she's going to introduce our panel. So I hope that all of you enjoy the program. Thanks, Cassie. Welcome, everybody. I want to introduce you to Joe Davis, Jr., to my left, from Truth Gatherers Community Church. Next to him is Josh Hall from First Baptist. And then we have Father Tim Halita from St. Thomas More Co-Cathedral. And then I am very honored and privileged to introduce you to Temple Israel's new rabbi, Rabbi Paul Sidlovsky. It is an honor and a privilege to have him here with us. Um, he brings to us um, in his 36th year and his rabbinate, yeah, 36 years. That's double high, if you know what that means. That's double life in Judaism. So even if... <laughs> um, so welcome, and I'd like to invite Rabbi to um, share a prayer for um, what's going on in Israel and Gaza right now. Thank you, Stephanie, and thank you all for coming today and looking forward to discussing with colleagues uh, important topics today. Uh, this is a prayer uh, I was asked to give today because of the situation in Israel and in Gaza. I know our hearts are with all those who are suffering there. Golda Meir, former Prime Minister of Israel, is said to have stated, we can forgive the Arabs for killing our children, but we can never forgive them for forcing us to kill their children. We, as a people, our children, our friends, have been called to the unthinkable. In the name of freedom and security for the sake of the undying dream of peace, with hearts on the edge of breaking, our people have been called to kill and be killed. Through the gruesome harshness of battle, despite the soul-crushing savagery of war, in the face of barbarism of almost unimaginable proportion, help us, spirit of holiness, to soften our hearts, to safeguard our souls, to hold tight to our humanity and compassion. Just as you reminded us when we crossed the sea toward freedom that our enemies remain your children, Remind us today and every day that death and devastation must never feed our souls, must always pain us to our very core. May we remember to cry for all victims of terror and hate in our land of Israel, in Gaza, and wherever they suffer and fall. May we remember that we do not seek vengeance and we do not revel in killing, but rather we grieve that we are called to destroy in order to create. In a place where no one is human, Rabbi Hillel taught 2,000 years ago, we must strive to be human. As we fulfill this terrible and holy mission, as we witness inhumanity and devastation, help us to be human, to feel the pain of all who hurt, and still to fight even with our lives for a better day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi. So today we're here to talk about a few country songs. <laughs> a 
The great thing about art in any form is that it gives the artist a way to express themselves and the viewer or listener the opportunity to connect to it in their own way. And music specifically has been used by different social movements over the years to express the need for change. The folks that we're talking about today certainly aren't the first musicians to use their platforms to share their opinions. From Pete Seeger to Joan Baez, Bob Dylan to U2, Sinead O'Connor to Public Enemy, they have all been co had controversial songs. So I'm going to read you some of the lyrics because I think it's really important if you haven't heard these songs or checked them out that you know just what the lyrics say. So I'm gonna give you a verse and a chorus from each song. The first by Jason Aldean called Try That in a Small Town. And I will bleep where necessary in all of these. Sucker punch somebody on a sidewalk. Carjack an old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool, well act a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough. We'll try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Round here, we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't try that in a small town. And then Oliver Anthony's Rich Men North of Richmond. Living in the new world with an old soul, these rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have total control, want to know what you think, want to know what you do, and they don't think you know, but I know that you do. Because your dollar ain't bleep, and it's taxed to no end, because of rich men north of Richmond. I wish politicians would look out for miners, and not just miners on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat, and the, and the obese milk and welfare. And then Dolly Parton's World on Fire. Billy got a gun, Joey got a knife, Janie got assigned to carry in the fight, marching in the streets with sticks and stones, don't you ever believe words don't break bones? Oh, can we rise above, can't we show some love? Do we just give up or make a change? We know all too well. We've all been through hell. Time to break the spell in heaven's name. Liar, liar, the world's on fire. What you gonna do when it all burns down? Fire, fire, burning higher. Still got time to turn it all around. Liar, liar, the world's on fire. Okay. So the first question is, let's say that these musicians meant exactly what their worst critics are accusing them of. Should we just ignore them, or do we use our platforms to discuss? Whoever wants to take it first. <laughs> I see Joe itching. We use our platform to discuss. Um, um, we pride ourselves in uh, freedom of speech, unfortunately. It just means we have to hear some things we may greatly disagree with or have different perspective of it. Um, but I think it does uh, hopefully uh, bring us to the table. Unfortunately, um, in the face of public opinion, it never really gets to a real table most times. It, no, it mostly becomes some type of media spin something that's normally used for clickbait tactics uh, to keep us in a whirlwind of controversy and um, splitting our sides. 
um, is rarely, rarely used as, uh, let's bring it to the table for conversation and let's really get some perspective here. So should we? I think we should. Um, again, we'll hear some things that we disagree with, I disagree with, many of you may disagree with, but hopefully it will lead to a conversation. Because I think uh, there is some, um, some value even in the perspective of what we've, uh, the lyrics we've just heard. So I want to say very early on in this discussion uh, that um, these songs are uh, results of a much bigger issue. They are uh, not the, uh, the cause of them. They are based on something that's already happened. They're a symptom of what is happening. They're not the disease, if we put it in those terms. Um, but the songs do speak to many people and do cause a lot of debate, a lot of dissension. Um, do I agree with a lot of the words? No. Do I think they should be said? In one sense, certainly yes. First of all, yes, I agree. People have a right to free speech. But also, as with most things, I think that these should be used as teaching moments, as educational moments, as a way to springboard into dialogue. Uh, so I think the words reflect the feelings of many people, genuine feelings, and the words certainly uh, go against the feelings of a lot of people, and maybe they can be used as a, as a springboard for, for dialogue rather than for animosity. Okay, <laughs> giving you a chance there. All right, you got time to collect your thoughts. Um, I'd say, yeah, as far as ignore versus engage, you know, it's funny when we talk about freedom of speech, I don't even know as a country that we have as much of a problem, even those who push back on freedom of speech. It's what we're more concerned with is the freedom for someone else to listen and to maybe believe what somebody else said. Because if the, the folks that we consider that are probably most on the edges, we're like, nobody's listening to them, I'm not worried. It's, the one, it's when those voices get more mainstream, when it's played on country music television, when it gets 19 million views on YouTube, that's when we suddenly get concerned about freedom of speech because we're afraid, wait, people are actually listening and they might be influenced by this. And that's when I do think, I agree with you all, that we have an obligation to try to engage. And even when it's a song that you might find problematic, that you might not agree with, I think, you know, to the rabbi's point, trying to listen to where, where is that coming from? What's, what's going on behind the lyrics, behind the song? Because if it's resonating, again, back to that whole, if it's an outlier and nobody listens and it's got three views on YouTube, okay. But when it's got that many listens, when it rises, as most of these songs I think did, rise, rose in the billboard charts, somebody's liking it, somebody's listening. So this song's giving voice to somebody out there that if I disagree too strongly, I'm missing what it is, you know, that they're experiencing. Even if I don't like how they phrased it, I need to try to listen to understand what's going on behind that. And is there something relatable there? You know, is there something that even if I disagree with how they said it, that I can agree and find common cause with? Yeah, I do think that's a problem in our society. I, I do disagree that these things are, you know, I do agree that these are things that we should address. I think um, I find interesting is, is um, I think the debate here is, is how much does 
our culture produce the music, I think as the rabbi was suggesting that this is a result, not, not necessarily the driver, but the other side is, is that the fear of like, this kind of music or any kind of lyrical content is how it affects others. So, and I, I think it's both. I, I don't think it's simple to say that the music drives the culture or the culture produces the music. I think it's both. I think on some level we can agree that, I think we can see that it's, there's something uh, attractive, at least in the entertainment industry, of being provocative um, and eliciting like attention. And, and so that, that in turn always is kind of pushing things, right? And I feel like in that way it's sort of driving the culture because if someone gets a little more risque or uses certain language, the next person wants to outdo it a little bit more. And I wonder, to me, it's a little interesting. I, I can't help but be a little suspect of like, there, there's a lot of music out there. And I think if you pulled up the top 10 like songs on iTunes right now and read the lyrics, I, I would suggest it probably, we wouldn't be able to read most of them in this room. Um, and yet this song is like, whoa, this is a really bad song or real controversial. So I, I'm a little suspicious as to well, why is this one um, being Sig, you know, and why is this one being centered upon as opposed to all this other stuff? There, there's a lot of music out there that's popular, and all of us might agree is that well, this is a little you know offensive, or some of us might say oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Why is this one getting the attention? And I just get a little uneasy whenever the media tries to get me to pay attention to something that I wasn't interested in before. Like, what's the agenda yeah. behind this, right? Exactly. Okay, so some might say that in Tallahassee, we are kind of a small town. How does that shape the lens through which you viewed the lyrics to all three songs? And Joe, I have an extra question I'll, for you. I'll just comment on the Al Dean song, because I, I, I do sometimes listen to, I have Sirius XM, you know? <laughs> it's not bad. Um, so boat. sometimes I listen to the Catholic channel. <laughs> Sometimes I listen to classical or jazz, uh, hits from every decade, and then country. You know, so I kind of just go through. And so I heard this song, I believe it was over the summer. It, they were playing it a lot because it was new. And I was like, we got this new song from... J so I listened to the lyrics. And, and to me, I was just like, all right, whatever. It's a typical... To me, it was a typical country song. Like, it's just the same old tropes, themes that you hear in country, like small town justice and blah, blah, blah. You know, like old time values or whatever. You know, whatever that means. You know, pickup trucks and... All that stuff, and I drive a truck, and I like to fish, you know. I, I, so some of it I like. I'm like, okay, cool. Even though it's like not a real life, like I've never been in a bonfire in the woods. I've never gone mudding. But there's something about it that's like this idyllic, like fantasy. Oh, that sounds like a nice life or something. I don't know. I think that's attractive to some people, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not to y'all. Um, but I just didn't take it very seriously, and it wasn't until I saw it in the media. It was like this controversy, and I was like, what is the controversy? And it was it was the um, it was the music video actually that raised all these issues. So you know, all of a sudden, it actually it was it was this digging into like where was it shot? Um, some of the images that they chose um, kind of gave it a different context, I think, for people. So just listening to it on the radio, I didn't think anything of it. It was just another silly country song. But then all of a sudden, you had those things, and I think that kind of created the. Uh, it confirmed people's suspicions that maybe this guy's racist or, or whatever. What is he trying to say or something like that? Um, I've, I've gotten off. I forgot what the question was now. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, being in a small town. Yeah. How did I listen to it? I mean, that, that was just sort of my perspective at first. It was only 
when you add that layer of the video and then the media writing about it and trying to gen up like, you know, what do you think about this? And what do you think that, that all of a sudden I started to look at it differently. Um, however, when I, th I wonder if the majority of people who heard it just didn't think anything of it. Right. You know? In terms of the idea of being in a small town, as, as you heard already, I'm, I'm new here. Uh, I don't see this as a, a small town. It's certainly smaller than where I grew up in Toronto, Canada, which is four plus million. Uh, it's certainly larger than places I've been in. Um, but I will say um, from a Jewish perspective that being a Jew wherever you are in a small town, in a large city, certainly impacts your perspective on things. And we see the world through a particular lens as well as many other lenses. But I will add quickly that it doesn't, at least for me, define everything about who or what I am. Uh, it's certainly a big part of who I am. Uh, so that's very important. And the reason I mention that, not only because it's my perspective um, and maybe the perspective of a number of people in the Jewish community, but also that I think it's the perspective of a lot of people, that who you are, which group you affiliate with, what you associate with defines who you are and may define your reactions to a lot of things, including lyrics to the songs and videos to the songs. Um, uh, to me, the problem is that we get uh, so wrapped up in who we think we are, and by extension, even worse, who we think others are. We tend to pigeonhole people into their categories. So if you're from a small town, you believe in this and this and this. I'm not from a small town. I'm not you know, one of the people I think he's discussing in this song, but I'm just refer to some of these lyrics. Some sucker punching somebody on a sidewalk, carjack an old lady, pulling a gun on the owner, cussing at cops. I'm not from a small town, but I'm not condoning these things. You know, I'm not going out in favor of these things. The problem with these lyrics is they divide. It becomes an us or them situation. If you're not one of us, you're against all this stuff. You know, um, and, and that's wrong. Um, and, and that's why it becomes very controversial. So I think what we need to do is look at these lyrics, as I said earlier, begin a dialogue, begin saying, what do we really believe? Do we, do we stand for these values? No. Um, even if we're from a different place, from a different religion, from a different, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it's important to, to see that and not be so much into the us and them, because uh, that's what divides. Okay. Um, yeah, so I've been in Tallahassee 30 years, grew up in Jacksonville. I don't think that I've ever felt like I lived in a small town, um, though I do have family who have closer to that. Um, and I've got plenty of folks, especially as a pastor, that I, I work with and serve with that, you know, more outskirts of Tallahassee and have more... Um, you know, the, these lyrics resonate with them on a deeper level than they might with me and my suburban experience. I don't even have a truck. I basically drive a hatchback. So, you know, um, to feel that identification with them. Um, but I think, you know, again, back to what we're, we're focusing on, I think it's just that idea of recognizing, you know, well, who in my community does this resonate with? And what is it about, to Tim's point, what is it about it that resonates? Is it a sense of nostalgia? You know, in their mind, it's just nostalgic growing up and this and the dirt roads and the dog in the back of the truck and all of that. And that just felt like another expression of that. Or is it someone who's had been on the other side of being in a small town and felt like 
that they were the one that wasn't like everybody else that was on the outside of that. And so, and they're going to hear these lyrics and it's going to hit them differently. And so being able to try to connect with, even though that wasn't my experience on either side, connect with those who've had and their perspective on something like this. Joe, if you could answer that question too, please. And also I'd like to ask if you can elaborate a little bit on um, being a leader in the, the black community, how the message in a song like Try That in a Small Town might hit the black community a little differently. Uh, I'm definitely gonna take our perspective first, adding from the previous question, I'll lead in really quickly. Um, I actually grew up in a big city, uh, South Florida, um, but I grew up in, uh, of course, very accustomed to diversity uh, growing in South Florida, but I grew up in a strong blue collar, uh, high morale community. Um, with that, I first would like to say my perspective before I give a more generalization. I was able to relate to the song from a potential nostalgic morale type point of view on what it's like to grow up in a town or a community, although I grew up in, a, like I said, South Florida in the city. But we held some strong values of work ethic, um, things that we didn't allow in our neighborhood, which was racism. We're very strong against racism in where I grew up. And so I could relate to the song title, Try That in a Small Town. I could relate to it because there were certain things we stood for that you better not try, right? And so, and that was a core belief among hardworking blue collar, mostly blue collar individuals uh, where people either had some technical trade school or some college level education. And kids were going on also to those type of uh, careers and livelihood. So when I heard the phrase for me, it made me refer to my upbringing as an African-American in a community that had strong values in a way that we wish we still had, um, where we could go outside and play all day. And so now my children don't know anything about it. I had to warn my kid, now living in Tallahassee, you can't go to certain parks. If you do watch your surroundings and all that, I was at the park all day, you know, and came home fine. Um, but now in Tallahassee versus Miami, to tell your perspective, I'm telling him, be careful. And then I'm showing him a news article of something that happened in our town to saying that's why I didn't want you to go. All right. So for me, I could first relate from my experiences as an African-American growing up in Miami and then coming to Tallahassee. That's perspective. All right. But also I understood potentially from an African-American um, historic point of view that many people who are not just activists but watchdogs right and the watchdog mentality is watch the needle watch someone who's pushing the needle and potentially are not sensitive to the cultural implications of what they're doing and so the watchdog and the activist came about in Jason's Adelin song uh, because the background, as Father Tim was mentioning, uh, they took it all the back and gave some prehistoric, I call it prehistoric, historic context all the way back to the 1900s when a young man was hung at that very courthouse. Of course, hearing the video, seeing it, you have no context that that uh, uh, setting was where a young man, black African-American man, was actually hung. 
all right, and lost his life. Uh, the average person is listening to a song, relating it to potentially the day and time that they live in. So I think with that, there are some false alarms, um, so to speak, um, that people still raise. And in the African-American community, we are taught to pay attention to certain things because this is a problem. So let's say we're asleep on a matter or we just don't value it um, as something that's problematic. The watchdogs and the activists in the African-American community raise it to our attention to say, no, this is a problem. Don't let this slide. Don't let the needle move here because it will continue to slide and sooner or later we'll go to sleep We'll be back to where we was years ago. We can't afford to go to sleep. So those are the messages that many times come to the African-American community that don't sleep on this message. It is problematic, even though it may appear subtle. And so I think that's a fair approach to how many times it may come across in the African-American community. But I cannot speak and say that most African-Americans saw it as a problematic uh, song, because I, I did. So the Dolly Parton song that we're talking about, um, actually, if you read the whole song, has just as much profanity in it, as well as accusations. Um, but maybe since it's Dolly Parton, who has a long history of just loving everybody because of her faith tradition and personal belief system, it might feel a little bit different from these other two songs. So I'm curious, are we making assumptions about the belief systems of these other two artists? I th I, yeah, I, mean, I, I would suggest, I, that's what I'm saying, I'm a little suspicious about these things. Um, why, like one of the things I read was, this is instigating violence. <laughs> like, I mean, there's a lot of music out there. I mean, is it, you know what I mean? Is that really the concern here? You know what I mean? I just find it hard to believe that, oh my gosh, there's a mention of someone getting hurt in a song. You know, again, I guess to bring up the top 10, 20 songs right now on iTunes and start looking through the lyrics. Um, it, it doesn't seem like anyone, I, don't, I just don't trust that that's the real concern. I think what it is, is a little confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. And I feel that there's a sort of suspicion, and, and I think we can understand why there would be. I mean, obviously, we know the history of the South, um, from slavery to Jim Crow to, you know, the, the, um, even today, right? I mean, we know, like, even Taylor County, not too long ago, at least when I was in college, there were incidents there. There's still, if you drive down in Taylor County, sometimes you'll see you know, Confederate flags and so on. So there's, there's a sort of sense there, a sort of suspicion that small town also equals racism. Right. And, and that the country singers and country people who like country music, you know, they're, they're Trump, MAGA, uh, truck driving, tobacco spitting, you know, <laughs> redneck, whatever, you know what I mean? Like there's this sort of idea we have. And so when we see something like that, it's like, see, see, I knew it, I knew it. I knew they were racist all along. It just confirms my, and allows me to remain on my silo. I think like what the rabbi was saying, like that, oh, well, see, this is, these are the bad people. These are the urban people that, that do bad things. And we're the country people. You know, it's just, we remain in our little groups. I just don't, I think it's, I think it's suspect. Uh, there was an incident that happened several years ago at the March for Life. Some of you, I'm sure you remember. It was a young man from Kentucky. He was wearing a MAGA hat. And it doesn't matter what you think about you know, Trump or whatever, but he's standing there, and of course the image that we all saw was this Native American gentleman in front of him in his face, and this kid smirking, and everyone reacted. And then we, the whole truth came out, and of course this kid was, didn't know how to react, he's a minor, and this grown man is in his face, and banging on a drum, and yelling at him, 
And this this kid is just on a trip, March for Life. And these kids didn't do anything wrong. And all, and all, the, all they came out. But why didn't everybody wait? It's because they already believed he's a racist. He's got a Trump hat on. He's a racist. There's definitely racists that are Trump supporters. There's also racists who are Democrats and, and everything else. And I, I think we have to be careful um, and like how we approach these things. Are we really, really striving to seek the best and think the best charitably about others? Or do we have our sort of prejudices um, that we already are approaching all of this uh, with? i just give one quick example. I remember at one point Trump, when he was president, I think he made a comment about Baltimore and he said that it was a rat-infested city. He sure did, and I was okay. upset about it. Right, so you were upset about that. Because I'm from Baltimore. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm just speaking from my experience. When I, I, I was, I heard that, I heard everyone was really upset, and they said it was racist. And I didn't understand that, because when I first heard that, I just thought he was talking about rats, like the animal. I didn't think that he was talking about black people. Because I don't think black people are rats. Does that make sense? So I didn't understand the whole hubbub over it. And why it was, because again, it was sort of, they already think that he's a racist. And maybe he is, I don't know, I'm not him. But that's, that's what I'm saying. How are we approaching this? I just don't think it's helping to approach it with these prejudices. We have to do our best to check our biases when we listen to people. Yeah, to, to add to that, and I, I don't want to teeter on the edge of politics and fall over, um, but... Um, I, I agree that we have to be very careful about these things uh, and not make assumptions. Um, and the, the point I wanted to make is not necessarily in direct relation to the question, but you know, to answer the question first, you know, to be honest, yes, I think, I think these songs do, I think they blatantly do sometimes say what these people are thinking. I, I, you know, I think they're wearing their heart on their sleeve when they write it. Um, is that good or bad? That's you know issue for debate. Um, but the issue is, I think, what what's being referred to, that we don't take that and generalize. Uh, and so the point I wanted to make is that every group, whether it's the people they are defending in these songs or the people speaking out against their songs, have extremists. Every religion, every political party, every every group has extremists. And I'll be the first to say, sitting here in public as a rabbi, that Jews have extremists as part of the Jewish community. Jews are not extremists, but there are extremists within Judaism, in Christianity, in Islam, in every group. The problem is we tend to look at us as being regular people who are right and other people as being extreme. And I'll add to that that every group has moderates, too, mostly every group. Now, um, they have people who are looking to live a normal life. I don't want to wade into uh, muddy waters, but if you get into the, what's going on in Israel and Gaza right now, there are, you know, my prayer at the beginning, you know, what I'm really saying in it, it wasn't my words, but what I'm reflecting, is that there are people on both sides who want peace. It is not an equivalent situation in a lot of ways, um, but as far as innocent people, it, it's equivalent. Um, and it, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, but every group has extremists, every group has moderates, and I think the battles are not one religion against another, not Republicans and Democrats, Democrats not Israelis and Palestinians or any, anything like that. It is extremists versus moderates. That's how I see issues 
uh, in the world today, and I've said this for decades, um, that if moderate thinking people, and that's a relative term, from every group got together and we were able to discuss, things would be a lot different. But unfortunately, a lot of the time, it's the extremists in every group calling the shots. And we see it in all aspects of life, uh, where not even a majority of people, but a smaller group get to dictate what is going on because they're the loudest drum beating. Um, and what we have to do is, is not let these things be, not these songs or anything else that they stand for, uh, get in the way of rational, moderate dialogue be among people. Uh, and if people would look at that and not, as was said, immediately knee-jerk reaction to some of these issues and assume that because you are not from a small town, what, the, what does this imply if you look at it in one way? If you're not from a small town, you're going around condoning, uh, you know, the um, what was that carjacking and sucker punching someone, an old lady, you know, harming old ladies, and pulling guns on innocent people. That's not the case. Right. It's not the case. But he's, this, these words are setting up an us-them situation, and we have to get out of that mentality um, by stepping back and having more moderate discussions among all groups. Yes, we will have differences. So I'm involved in a lot of interfaith dialogue, you know, just starting here and have been over the years. Real interfaith dialogue is not just sitting there saying, oh, we're all the same, let's all just get along. That's very nice. But what real interfaith dialogue and real dialogue among different groups is saying, yes, we have differences. We don't resent each other for those differences. We actually find, for me as a Jewish person, it enhances my Jewish identity to learn about other people's identities and practices. It doesn't water it down, it doesn't threaten me, and I tell the same to people in my congregations. You know, being involved in these things is a great thing, and thank goodness most people agree. Um, so I think we need more of that and more, but it doesn't mean simple all getting along and, and, and talking about similar things, it's talking about things that we may disagree with and learning about each other and where we come from. And the same in the political world, same in the music world. So there's a lot to be said for how, again, this can be a springboard to lead to those kinds of discussions. Even though it may start in a potentially dangerous place, it could lead to something very positive. I don't know if I'm on topic, but I'm gonna, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm supposed to have a question, but I got a statement. Um, I find myself, even with this discussion, directly in between, which, which means um, there is a time to draw a line and to discuss as if it's not. Um, I think we miss that there is a time to protect. There is a time to stand up. Um, I don't want to ignore that. Um, and then there's a time to discuss, um, but it may not happen at the same time, right? Um, if you're threatening something that's close to me, or if I feel threatened, uh, of course, the, the escalation is the, is, is the goal, but that may not always happen. And I think the song for me still says that we stand for something, I know there's some context and some historical things that could be brought out on what we think small town represents. That means everybody had to be um, taking advantage of somebody or there were Jim Crow uh, behaviors and things of that nature, but I think it stands for a, a line that is drawn. And so I find myself 
somewhere in the middle of, of that. And so I don't want to uh, hide that uh, fact in the midst of everybody's talking nice. I think one, to, to build on your comments, one thing that reminds me of is that, especially when we, when you're like, why, why this song getting so much attention? And, you know, and we've heard it talked about before, but that idea that certain folks have a narrative, a, a, a worldview, a way that they interpret the world. And when your media, whether news media or whatever, if, if you can keep, and, and we've seen such polarization, the battle lines being drawn, I know I'm gonna get more viewers which means I'm going to get more ad revenue if I stir this up. And so then we do what I've heard called nut picking, not nitpicking, but nut picking. You find, to your comment about the extremists, you find the nut on the other side and go, oh, see, look, this represents all small town people and this extreme interpretation that we've made of it. And then that gets my side more stirred up against it and whatever else. And it's just we've got these battle lines drawn instead of assuming goodwill and maybe seeing, okay, is that what he really meant by that? I don't know. Um, and even for what, it, what people hear in it, when, when Joe was talking earlier, it reminded me, um, I guess I'm old enough now that I shouldn't be afraid of sounding like the old get off my lawn. But like, <laughs> you know, it's funny with our kids, you know, listening to the songs that I grew up on, so like your, your variety channel on Sirius, um, listening to the songs I grew up on and going like, yeah, they were talking about sex. That song's about drugs. That, you know what I mean? But like when I listened to it in the 80s, I just thought it was a fun pop song, you know? And so if, you, so if I told somebody I like that song, someone could hear it and go, oh, he likes the music. Someone else could hear it like, oh, he supports drug culture, you know? And I'm like, that's, that's not why I like that song. And so that's where we have to be careful. Even when we see songs like this get super popular and we want to project on them, oh, the reason everybody likes the Aldine song is because they're racist. The reason everybody likes Richmond North of Richmond is because they're a blue collar, working class, disenfranchised. I'm like, I like banjo music. That man, he sounded like that sounded soulful. Then I paid attention to the lyrics, you know, and so I think we have to be careful as well, you know, suspending that judgment. What is it that is resonating? And as, as this group emphasizes and as Village Square always emphasizes, the way you're going to find out is by talking to your neighbor and saying, well, why is it? that you find that song meaningful or why is it that you find that problematic? Okay, I can see that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And it just made me think when you're talking about that, it, you know, this is of course nothing new. The idea of music uh, kind of setting off these kinds of discussions. Uh, I remember back in high school, which was not yesterday, <laughs> uh, that uh, we had a whole discussion. It wasn't a Jewish school, but it was a lot of Jewish students at the school in Toronto. And the discussion was about Wagner and, and Wagner's music. And for those who may not be aware, Wagner was very anti-Semitic, uh, but also you know, considered uh, you know, a very uh, brilliant musician. And the question was, should we be listening to Wagner's music or not? And there was a whole debate about it. And a lot of people said, yes, you know, if we like the music, we should listen to the music. A couple of people got up and said, absolutely no, no way. I'm never listening to... To Wagner, I don't care how good a musician he was, I didn't like what he stood for, but that had nothing to do with his music. That's the way it is with everything, you know, and we, I know we didn't want to get into cancel culture and we're not going to, but that's what's happening today. You know, everyone's saying, I don't like this, therefore, I'm not listening to it. You know, uh, you know, I, maybe I liked a song by Kid Rock, 
and now that I heard he was a huge Trump supporter, I'm not going to listen to his songs anymore, or whatever it might be that you know was was popular, or I might start listening to it. Uh, and it's the same with restaurant chains, and the same with brands. Everything you know, people boycott them, people support them, all because of what they say they stand for, but it has nothing to do specifically with their product necessarily, unless they're directly tying it in together. People have the right to have their own beliefs. Um, we wouldn't want to be boycotted because someone disagrees with something we say, I don't think. So we have to be very careful about that. And, and yes, as far as, uh, you know, to go back to what Joe said a few minutes ago, I really liked um, the statement, I can't remember the exact words, but about just because people are being nice about, this is the flip side of it, just because people are being nice about what they're saying doesn't mean I can't stand up and, and put my foot down and say, no, I don't agree. Um, and certainly I, I relate to that, and I think many of us do. Um, that, but then it goes back to the other comment that um, we have to stop and not build, you know, raise the, the heat, but stop and say, as was said, what is it? You know, don't, don't just react and say, oh, I'm taking my ball and going home. I don't want to play with you anymore because I don't, you, you upset me. To say, okay, like you said, what? That upset you. Why? And maybe it won't be why you thought. Maybe it'll be for another reason. Maybe that you can find common ground. If not, okay, there's further discussion to be had. But any reasonable people can sit and, and disagree without being disagreeable. And it's not a naive, you know, uh, pie in the sky statement. It's a way to say, we do have differences. We will have differences. I can say, you know, Jewish tradition is based on that. Um, the word Yisrael, Israel, comes from the word to struggle with God. Jews are believers by and large, but the idea is not disbelief, but Struggling and questioning and everything and the whole rabbinic tradition in Judaism is based on debate and dialogue and and discussion even the view that didn't win Was placed in Jewish major Jewish source material because it was a valid point and it had to be mentioned so that we have something to think about So that's that's how I think things should be there There are arguments that can be as Jewish tradition says for the sake of heaven as opposed to those that aren't for the sake of heaven You know that are valid legitimate and and it's good to hear both sides Because maybe you'll grow a little bit and change if we didn't disagree We would never grow we would just continue to have the same views all throughout our lives. some people live that way I don't think it's healthy, but that's right. You know, I think that's why we're here to have that kind of discussion. Thank you all so much. And for those of you who know me, I advocate that everybody just listen to Taylor Swift and we won't have these problems. On that note, Cassie, would you like to ask some, have folks to ask questions? Okay. Hi, I'm Judith Lyons. I'm a member here at uh, Temple Israel. Um, I listened to two of the songs. Cassie's email had the links. Uh, I didn't hear the Dolly Parton song. And what struck me was how different my life is compared to these two other people's lives that they described through their song and music. And I know I'm a white Jewish woman. I've got a lot of privilege going for me. Um, and it's just really, really hard to relate to people. I mean, we, we, 
we lived hand to mouth for 25 years raising two children in the country. <laughs> um, but we didn't come out of it with anger and bitterness. There's probably other reasons why that's the case. Again, part of the privilege I have had. But I, I, it's just like, what do I do with this? You know, what do I do with the, such strong feelings that are just so, from my perspective, negative, running people's lives because of their life experience. And it's not been mine. One thing that your comment reminds me of, and I don't, I don't want to make any assumptions about the group here, but I'm guessing demographically, probably your generation when you were growing up, maybe starting a family, and the, the wage that you could expect for just working a typical average job, versus where that is now. And this is something that I wasn't aware of, but in, in looking into stuff, there was a, a recent congressional study on income and it found, you know, not to be classist here or feed into that, but that, you know, over the past 45 years, the, the, the very rich are getting exponentially richer. The middle class are still getting richer, but at a slower rate than used to be. But for the first, for really, for the most significantly as the first time, those with less education, high school and less education, for the first time, they are actually getting poorer over the past 45 years. As opposed to, when you, if you went back 50 years ago, you graduated high school, you could get a job, you could make a living. And so even there, just to understand, if, if I'm thinking, well, from my perspective, like, well, hey, get a job, work for your family, why are you so angry about it? And some of that might be just our need to look what's going on here and why. And so if you look at the Oliver Anthony, if you looked a little farther, it's not even his name. It's his stage name that he uses, I think in honor of his grandfather or something. But um, you look at his story and the depression he's had, the, the over 12-hour overnight shifts he's worked and losing his job. And I, I can, now I can hear where that's coming from in a way that it's like, okay, to your point, that's a different experience than what I had coming out of high school and you know, trying to find and start a family and all that kind of stuff. Hi, I'm Sherry Casper. Um, my question is, is um, actually one of the first statements that you guys made was the clickbait statement. And I think that the biggest problem I see with these songs is that a lot of times that, that people in those extremist points will actually grasp onto even the smallest part of it. So let's say Dolly Parton, who we were saying is, you know, she loves everyone, but her song sounds so angry um, and so an extremist can easily use that song and use it as clickbait and in one of their ads and say, this, this music is meant for these, this side, this part of the extreme world. How do you guys feel like the best way for a community um, or for society to deal with that is? Because it's not necessarily what was meant by the song. What was meant by the song is interpreted by every person that listens to it, and it's always going to be interpreted differently. But how society uses that song is really what I think is the most important part of our discussion. So how, how would you guys recommend that society work with that? Um, because this music is so incredibly emotional and 
and powerful that it can drive those extremist points much further than their points could by themselves. I'm reminded of uh, one of my uh, favorite uh, ways to quote theology, and that is from Peanuts. And and, uh, it was Linus who said, I love humanity, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) I think it was Linus. and I think that's where a lot of these people are coming from. You know, they all claim to love what's right and, and do what's right, but, but then they will find fault with people very quickly. Um, so what do we do? We have to get off the soapbox of, you know, claim to love humanity, pie in the sky things, and, and talk about dealing with actual people and how do we, how do we reach out. So again, as was suggested before, um, you know, my answer, Sherry, uh, would be that we start in our corner of the world and, and use this as, as I said before, a springboard for dialogue uh, to recognize, not to uh, kind of uh, sweep under the rug certain issues that are here, recognize those, see where the, the authors of these songs are coming from, um, but also to say what, as mentioned, the trigger points. What are the trigger points? Why are they the trigger points? Um, and can we find some common ground to start for example, as I said before, you're angry about people, you know, harming old ladies and shooting at you know, innocent store owners and doing all these things. So am I. You know, you're you're angry at innocent people being killed in the Middle East. So am I. Um, but what you know, where do we differ? Where do we find, you know, why why do we take one side as opposed to the other when both of us are basically saying the same thing? We don't want innocent people being hurt. We don't want these types of things. Does it matter that you're Israeli or from Gaza? Does it matter that you're from a small town or a big city or that you live north of Richmond or not north of Richmond? It doesn't matter really. People are people, but we all have our different experiences and different perspective. So what can we talk about that? And that's why I think this is so important that we're doing today. This is a start. We're not solving the world problems here. Um, or, or convincing anyone who is upset about these songs necessarily in the, in the country. But we are starting a dialogue to say, you know what, we have some similarities, we have some things that we can, we can discuss, and then maybe we can reach some solutions. We may not agree in the end, but we can respect one another and, and, and uh, not turn up the heat and increase uh, any violence or, or hatred toward one another and not stereotype because someone is a member of this political party or that religious group or this country or that country, uh, to see them as a person and not assume that they think something because, because that's, they're one of them. We all have moderates, we all have extremists, as we said, we all have our own views. Um, I also would like to add, I really think we are very challenged um, to get to a place of what I will consider being balanced. We are very challenged because it takes quite a bit of intentionality to get balanced in the day and time we live. Because most of the news or whatever we read already has its spin. And so if you're going to not be extreme in whatever belief you hold, we all have to take on a a type of practice of being more intentional even about what we read. So for example, because I want to be imbalanced in what I believe are good politics, I'm not going to just listen to one news station. I intentionally do that so that I potentially get several perspectives 
begin to weigh it so I can feel like I'm grounded in what I want to believe. And so what happens is we have a tendency, and I don't mean this word uh, derogatory uh, at all, but we have a tendency to become lazy at what easily shows up at our doorstep, what easily becomes in the circle of our conversation with our friends. And we don't challenge what ourselves and what we hear and then go and look it up. Be honest, it takes, it's extremely hard to stay balanced. The time that it takes me to understand a real point of view of what's happening, the time it has taken me to really understand what's happening in Israel right now. Between all the spins and perspectives, it has taken me time just to gather facts so I understand what's going on. So I think that's the challenge we must have is to be a little more intentional to stay balanced. Otherwise, we run the risk ourselves of becoming extreme. I think it's something I think as a, as a, a priest, um, I feel like I have a sort of duty or responsibility to kind of exist outside of this media-dominated, manipulative machine, you know? Um, because I feel like a lot of times the people um, that I'm responsible for, are, they're just, they don't maybe have the time or ability to kind of like reflectively think about some of these things. They're just more, I feel like, sometimes susceptible to the media. So like, I, I don't, again, I go back to like, why are we, like I'm a little bit annoyed. I, I mean, I know offense, I mean, I, I love, this is a great topic, but I'm annoyed that I had to talk about this song for an hour. Because the only reason we're talking about it is because somebody decided like they were gonna like write an article. You know what I mean? Like they ginned all this up. Like we would not. I wonder how many of y'all had ever heard this song if we hadn't. If whoever it was didn't point out all this stuff. And I just like I don't want to be a puppet to these people. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't. I don't know if that's important. I don't know why. I, I don't think it's important. You know. So I, I think it is. It's a lot of times in our church, in my in my church right now, it exists there too where there's, there's controversies within the Catholic Church. Some of you may be familiar with that. And some of my brother, some of my brother priests where I was just gathered this week, were, were, I was surprised. I was a little embarrassed. Like, they were just feeding into some of this stuff. And I just said, you know, who cares? Like, the church, if you know the history of the Catholic Church, there's been disagreement amongst bishops for, like, the, since the beginning. Read the New Testament. Paul and Peter were arguing. I mean, like, you know, we just heard from our rabbi friend, the history of in Judaism is, is, is a history of struggle and questioning and debate. Like, what are we afraid of, right? Don't be afraid. And I think that's the thing. Like, why are we, why is this song important or any of these songs? Like, what is it that we're afraid of? Um, and I just don't want to be manipulated by this media that says, well, you need to be worried about this. Well, I'm not. Like, I'm worried about Tallahassee and the people I live with and my day-to-day -day life. And I'm not going to let all these other folks that are making a lot of money off of us tell me what I should be concerned about or afraid of. I'm not going to live in fear. That's it. One more quick question. Uh, it, to me, it's not really the lyrics. It, it was the video. That, because prior to watching the video, I, I could care less about it. But when I, when I saw the video, you know, it wasn't all so long ago that in a small town, they were, they were lynching black people. They were burning their homes. They were burning crosses in their houses. And they did it with impunity. And nobody cared. And, and I'm of the opinion is, if I don't care, nobody will care. And we have, we have to address this up front. And by the way, if you have your dog in the back of your pickup truck and not in the cab, you don't, ha you don't need to have a dog. <laughs> so I just, 
because again, I did read a little bit of the article and, it, and I first saw it, I was like, why is this a controversy? The, the video is filmed in front of a courthouse, which looks uh, at first glance like any other courthouse you would see in any southern city. Um, but then it, someone did the digging and found out historically there was a lynching there. Now, I wouldn't have known that if no one told me that. And that's, and that's where I think the danger is, is would, like, have we created, have we moved our society towards more peace, unity, and so on by pointing these things out? And, and so, of course, they asked the artist, and the artist was like, I didn't choose where we filmed this thing. And these people who make this video, they choose all this stuff. I find it hard to believe that the people who decided to film the video are like, let's find a site of a lynching. You know, that no one's going to pick up immediately when they see it anyway. It just didn't seem to compute. So I'm, I'm asking, like, by bringing all that up, does that really move us together? Or does that kind of solidify these divisions and suspicions um, and confirmation bias that I think is present, you know? It's, it's a tough one because I, I, I generally agree, you know, that a lot of things are blown out of proportion uh, and we're not looking at the cause. I... I, I I didn't come here today to talk about a particular song. I came here to talk about the issues that it represents. And so I started off by saying, you know, I think this is the, the, the symptom. You know, it's, the, it's not the cause of things. But at the same time, and while I agree in general that we have to be very careful not to uh, go too far and read too much into things, we also have to be careful, and I'm speaking uh, as a Jewish person, but also as a human being, um, that there are the dog whistles out there um, and we have to be very very careful about those we can't say oh no one meant any harm by that I, I think a lot of people know what they're doing when they when they come out and say these things and they 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 make it themselves not accountable for it because they didn't actually say it but those who know know uh, what they are saying um, and so it's a balance as in most things in life um, I, I, I totally agree that we can't overreact, and I just finished saying a few minutes ago that we have to, you know, find you know ways to find common ground, even when we disagree. We have to find ways to, you know, um, maturely and you know intelligently discuss it. Um, but at the other, at the same time, uh, it goes back to Joe's comment earlier uh, that I mentioned again that um, just because people are seeming to be nice about it uh, doesn't mean we have to not say anything. So we have to know what's appropriate to defend and to not let, because a lot of the, you know, the old line, you know, to, for evil to win, this takes good people to do nothing. We have to watch out for that too. Um, so we're all, uh, you know, we, I think we're all agreeing that we don't overreact to these things, uh, that they represent more than just, you know, a song. They may not be the artist saying terrible things. The artist may not be racist and so on, but um, there are these dog whistles out there that we have to be careful about. Thank you, everyone. Um, Cassie, I'll hand it over to you. I think I speak for all of us when I say that. We really appreciate hearing your perspectives um, and your wisdom and wit are always very uplifting. I was telling um, Josh and Stephanie before they began that I always leave God Squad feeling so hopeful, and I think that a lot of you probably feel the same way. So thank you all for coming, and I want to say thank you so much to our panel, and thank you to Temple Israel for hosting us. Thanks for coming. Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. Uh, what, a, what an event. So much to consider with this talk. I, I, I love how Pastor Joe Davis helped to wrap things up that we all need to be 
intentional is the word he used intentional not to fall prey to extremism or one-dimensional adversarial posturing over everything under the sun i mean seriously we got to take a stand on music over, on, on a song i'm supposed to get angry at my neighbor or my old high school buddy or my aunt tilly if they're on the supposed wrong side of the big country song debate of 2023 we could all do better than this I, I often think of what Mani Guzman was talking about. She shared it here last year and leaning into radical curiosity. Hmm, you're really passionate about that song. Is this something you could share? You know, instead of getting caught up in the, uh, in the fight, you know, you, you, you respond with curiosity. Oh, wow, you're, you're really passionate about that song. Why is that? Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more, <laughs> you know? Maybe that's, a good start. So with that, it's time to close out today. Please consider joining our members in supporting this programming. You can become a member for just $7 a month or $76 a year. And your business can join for $250. Go to villagesquare.us slash donate to join today. That's villagesquare.us slash donate. While you're there, sign up for Village Square's newsletter to stay up to date with everything happening at the village square as you can see by today's program and 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 uh, what you've been hearing over the last several weeks there's so much going on at the village square so go to villagesquare.us scroll to the bottom for the sign up box funding for this podcast was provided through a grant from florida humanities with funds from the national endowment for the humanities any views findings conclusions or recommendations expressed in this program or by me, I would imagine too, do not necessarily represent those of Florida Humanities or the National Endowment for the Humanities. We appreciate you listening to Shut Up and Don't Sing with Village Square's God Squad. Until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon, and thanks so much for listening to Village Squarecast.